ask the question or have somebody ask the question? If God is good, how come bad things happen? You ever wondered that? You ever wondered why the world we live in is the way it is? I want to preach a little bit about that. And not exactly sure at what direction we'll, we'll take it. There's a myriad of different places that we can end this sermon. I want to, I want to invite you on a journey, if you will. It's going to be a, a fairly familiar journey. But perhaps somewhere in the midst of it, we can find a new truth or find something you hadn't thought about before and realize the depth of what God has. If you have your Bibles, and I sure hope you do, Genesis chapter 1, and you can be seated because I'm not going to necessarily read uh, a, a portion of Scripture in my beginning. I'm going to kind of just tie all these Scriptures in uh, as we go and, and sort of walk this, this path. But the Bible says, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It was without form and void. And the understanding is, is that it was chaos. It was darkness. It was out of order. Uh, it, it had no life-sustaining capabilities. There was nothing that would cause you to desire what was there. It was just formless, chaotic void. And there in the middle of it, God begins to speak. Let there be light. And there was light. The interesting thing is, is the light that was there seemingly had no uh, source. It's just that there was light. And he created light from darkness. And then he separates the darkness. That's the first day. And then he said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. And so the understanding is he created our atmosphere. And the water vapor in our atmosphere is, is above us. Then there was water on the earth below. That was the second day. And then he said, the waters on the earth, let them be gathered together in one place. And let dry land appear. He called it earth. And he called the waters that were gathered together seas. He saw it was good. And he said, let the earth sprout vegetation and, and, and let it yield all manner of plants that bear seed and fruit trees and each according to its kind and that was the third day. Things are beginning to take shape and then he said let there be the lights in the expanse of the heavens and now the light that he had created he created sources of it, the sun, the moon, the stars and he put them in place and he caused them to be there and now it's what we, we have that tells us when it's day and when it's night and time, if you will, begins to exist in some form because the sun begin, or, the, or the earth begins to revolve around the sun and the moon revolves around the earth and that's the fourth day it was good. The fifth day rolls around and living creatures begin to swarm in the oceans and the seas and birds flew above the heavens and God planted and created in that the sea creature and every living creature that moves and every winged bird and he commanded them to be fruitful and multiply and at the end of that day it was the fifth day and then on the sixth day he created the earth the, the, the living creatures on the earth the livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth and made it and it was good and then he said let us make man in our own and the, the, the understanding, and of course, as I read the Bible, I try to not just read it as black and white pages, but I try to read it as, as uh, uh, you know, the ability to see what's going on. And I can see it unfold as God reaches down into the earth and he forms man from the dust of the earth. He 
forms man and then he breathes into man that living breath, that life-giving breath. And man becomes a living creature to that man. He told him, he said, be fruitful, multiply. You have dominion over everything in this earth. I've created you differently than anything else. Everything was good. Of course, later on, man is lonely. Man desires companionship. And so uh, the, the kind of the you'll really read the Bible and see it. The Bible says that man searched all of creation for a suitable companion, which means he looked at all the birds and the animals and all the fishes, and he said none of those suffice, and I am so thankful that he said none of those suffice. And so God caused a deep sleep to come on Adam. Then out of Adam he took a rib. From that rib he formed Eve, and then life was complete. They, they lived in this perfection, this Eden, and I preach about it. None of this is going to be new to you, but I want to just remind you how perfect the Garden of Eden was created to be. If I could pull from various places, the, the Garden of Eden was a place where they would have, in perfection, lived forever. There was no sadness, there was no pain, there was no heartache, there was no death, there was no depression, there was nothing that would cause them to have any sort of agony or pain. It was perfection. It, it was a beautiful land. The, the ground yielded its increase without any work. Man did not have to uh, uh, prepare the ground. There was no planting that had to take place. Everything just worked. You were hungry, there were trees you could go eat of. Everything you needed was there. It just happened. But in chapter 2, there's this interesting phrase, an interesting thing in chapter 2, verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree. Look at your neighbor and say, every tree. Every tree. Again, if you will exegete that in the Greek and the Hebrew, you'll find out that that literally means every tree. Just trying to help you out a little bit. Every tree. That was pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of the life was in the middle of the garden and also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know the story. I don't know how long they lived in that perfection. I don't know how long they lived in that garden. I don't know how long they existed there. But at some point, if you flip the page and you turn to the book of Genesis chapter 3, you find that Eve is walking. But, but really, you have to understand that both of them are walking together. Uh, Adam was with Eve the whole time. And, and there, Satan begins to weave his way and slither his way into the story of humanity's existence. And there, the serpent begins to... To, to subtly and, and, and cunningly confuse Eve and, and cause her to doubt the word of God and she partakes of the tree because God had said of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, do not eat of it. There in the midst of that garden with the words of, of Satan still, still ringing in her ears, she looks at it and the temptation seems to be too much as she picks the fruit of that tree and she eats of it and the Bible says and she gave it to Adam who was with her and he ate of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil their eyes were open immediately they knew that they were naked guilt and shame and condemnation came in and, and perfection was broken now the logic 
logic. I, I have a, I'm very logical in my thinking. I, when, 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 whenever a problem provi- presents itself, immediately my mind begins to break it down. How do you fix it? What do you do? Um, I, I've learned that, that you can't, us guys, we can't fix everything. Sometimes we need to just listen. I'm working on that. But my brain says, let's fix it. What is logically happening? Logic tells me, why in the world, God, would you put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil inside the garden? Why? Why? Why would you give humanity that, that one chance to fail? Why would you give humanity that one chance to mess up? And then look at all that happened. With the one bite, with the one uh, partaking of the forbidden fruit, lives of man and woman changed drastically. Uh, the, the, The man now couldn't just exist. Now man has to work. The Bible says by the sweat of his brow, he has to provide for food. It's not easy anymore. Now drought comes and too much rain comes and things don't grow as easy as they did in the garden. It's work now. Of course, the woman has her own set of curses, the childbirth and and, and the, the desire to her husband. All of that, even Satan himself was cursed. The ground was cursed. Now there's thorns and thistles. Now there's poison ivy. Now things hurt. I was spent uh, this last little bit there in Arizona, especially in the southern part of Arizona where it's desert, and I'm telling you everything in the desert of Arizona hates you. I can't tell you how many cactus spines I pulled out. I'm talking about three-inch cactus spines. that They have these things called jumping cactus. They're called choyas. And these, these cactus, they, they grow and they, they, they keep segmenting and they fall off very easily. And they, look, they call them teddy bear choya because they look so cuddly. They look furry. They're not. And these, these balls of, of choya that have two to three inch spines everywhere fall. And what happens is as you're walking, you step on them and those spines compress. And when you let go, it's like a mine. It jumps up and most of the time it tacks you right behind the kneecap. I picked him out. I watched Brother Combs fall down the mountain, and he fell right into a gigantic patch of prickly pear. And we picked out prickly pear hairs until we were tired of picking out prickly pear hairs. Woo! Peter Piper picked a patch of pickle that one. But all of that is because of the curse of sin. Perfection, paradise is broken. Why, God? Would you set that tree? Why? I'd like to tell you that the, the, the greatest reason why God did that is because true love and true relationship has to require a decision. God said, I'm going to put in the middle of the garden a decision. And that decision will determine the fate of humanity. Bible says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, I got little Zeke there, and he's cute. And I know that the modern day psychologists, they're all crazy now. They're telling you you shouldn't hug your kid unless the kid asks for it. And if that's the case, I'd probably never hug my kids. But um, you know how it is. You, you, tell, you tell the baby, do you love me? they don't respond. So you say again, do you love me? 
until finally, out of aggravation, they say yes. And you go, oh, they said they love me. You know how awesome it is? The first time that child looks at you without asking, without prompting, and says, Daddy, I love you. Because true relationship, true love requires a decision. And in the middle of that garden, God put a tree of decision that said this is going to be the proof of whether or not you love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You have to choose. Adam and Eve chose wrong. They, they choose. They, they, they did not obey the presence or, or the commandment of the Lord. And they chose, rather, to, rather than obey the word of God, they chose to fall prey to its temptation and its failure. It, it's, it's the pleasures of sin. And I'm kind of combining verses. It's the pleasures of sin for a season. Because, I don't know, maybe they were hungry or maybe whatever fruit that was. We always call it an apple. I don't know if it was an apple. But they eat of it. It tasted good. It, 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 it probably was sweet. It, it, it satisfied a momentary hungry pain. But the Bible says the pleasures of sin might be for a season, but the wages of sin is death. At that moment, wherewith they ate of that, they died not only a physical death, but a spiritual death because from my understanding and everything that I've read, they would have lived forever as long as they began to eat of that tree of life. That was the other tree there. But when God kicked them, when God removed them out of the garden, they no longer had access to the tree of life. And so at that point, they began to die. Oh, it took 800, 900 years, but they began to die. But they also died a spiritual death because they had lived in a place where they could walk with God and commune with God and talk with God and the relationship was there and now there's a flaming sword of a cherub that stands at the entrance of Eden that won't allow them back into that place and now they live and now they exist in a place of spiritual death because true relationship requires a decision. It's the words of Samuel to Saul after Saul had sinned and when God had told him to, to utterly destroy all the Amalekites. It was going to be a prophetic thing that happened. God had it out for the Amalekites. There were some things in Israel's history that had caused God to put his face against them. And so God said, the time has come. You're going to destroy them all. I don't want anything that bears the Amalekite name to survive. It doesn't matter, man, child, woman, beast. They all die. They're going to suffer the consequence of their sins. And so it was that Saul did so, but he saved the best, the best, the king, the best warriors. He saved the, the best of the flock, and he was going to keep it for himself until Samuel came and called him out on it. And, of course, Saul said, well, I saved it all for God. I'm going to sacrifice to him. But you have the words recorded in 1 Samuel 15, 22, and Samuel said, and listen close. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as he has in the obeying of the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. To listen is better, and I insert the word better there, than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as of the sin of witchcraft or divination, and presumption is as of iniquity and idolatry, and you've rejected the word of the Lord, and he rejected you from being king there's something about it that God says, if you really love me, oh, I love the worship. I love the sacrifice. I love the dance and the shout and the praise. 
he says, but what, 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 what shows me you really love me is obey my commandments. David sort of pulls on this in his repentance prayer of Psalms 51, and I'm not going to go through it all, but he says to it, he says, you know, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. But then he makes the statement, you don't delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You're not pleased with a burnt offering, the sacrifices of God or a broken spirit, uh, a, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you won't despise. David realized that you sometimes can't worship your way back into relationship. You have to obey. So David repented. It's the tree of decision that mankind has that truly tells the tale. Are you in relationship with him? Every relationship requires a decision. If the Garden of Eden, if I could call that the old world, if the Garden of Eden was perfection, if the Garden of Eden was 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 perfect and 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 beautiful and everything worked together and everything uh, uh, fit so perfectly, then now we see the world is ruined and marred by sin. Everywhere you turn, there's dysfunction, there's hurt, there's pain, there's agony, there's there there's sickness, there's there's abuse, there's all sorts of sin. And the reason we have that, just to answer that question is because God gave man a choice. I don't have time to get into it, but, but I would just tell you that, that almost all of our... Now, some of it is just life, okay? When God allowed life to just go, and there's no longer the protection that was there in the Garden of Eden, when God allowed life to go, you're going to get old. And I'm, I'm learning that. You get old. And, and as you get old, things don't work the way they used to work. Things hurt. So some of it is just plain and simple. We wear out. Our bodies wear out. And so some of the sicknesses and some of the things that we have is not a sinful thing. It's, not a, it's just we're wearing out. Our lives are not as blessed as they were there in the Garden of Eden, but it was because of a decision. But the pain and the suffering and the agony, it's because of the decision. And from that day on, God has still allowed in the in the hearts and the souls of each human born the option for them to make a decision. You heard just briefly brother Eves talk about that decision he made. All of you have a place where you've made a, de a decision, and those decisions that you make, they don't only affect you. Did you catch that? Eve and Adam's decision to eat of the fruit did not just affect them. It affected their children. If the Bible, Jesus' own words, he says, uh, here's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy mind, thy soul, thy strength. The second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. The first two sins committed in the Bible, uh, past Adam and Eve's failure, but the first two sins, well, they're, they're, they, they fit that. Adam's sin, I didn't love the Lord thy God with all my heart, my mind, my strength, my soul, because if I did, I would have chosen not to eat it. And then the second sin would have been Cain and Abel and Cain killing Abel, and that's certainly not loving your, your, your neighbor as yourself. And so now you have it, and, and in fact, just to be fair, while I was in Arizona, I was able to go to a youth conference 
uh, that was there in Tucson, and Brother Mark Brown was preaching, and he told an incredible story, and, and, and he was bringing it out from, from Seth's understanding. And, and he began to talk about how Seth, one day Adam and Eve would have had to tell Seth how perfect it would have been, and Seth would have looked at his dad and said, why in the world did you leave that? Because every decision we make affects. There are children, and I hate it, and it's sad. There are children that are abused and children that are living in lives that they ought not be living. And you say, God, why do you allow them to do that? The answer is because God gave us the power to make a decision. And so today, everywhere you turn, dysfunction. Satan, the prince, and the power of this domain, of this world, has free reign. But in the middle of this busted and broken paradise stands another tree. A tree that the fruit that hangs on that tree is not all that pleasant to look at. The fruit that hangs on this tree is not all that great. In fact, in the world's eyes and even God's own word would say that anything hanging on that tree would be cursed. But that tree that hangs there in this day and age still requires a decision. Because on that tree hangs a Savior. On that tree hangs one that says, Whosoever will come unto me, I will give them rest. Whosoever will choose me, I will choose them. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. In fact, if, if, if we're going to be fair and we ask in the Garden of Eden, God, why would you put that tree there to tempt uh, mankind? The Jews would ask the same thing, Lord, if this is going to help us, why would you put this kind of tree in this place today. But the reason is that tree requires a decision. It's John chapter 3, verse 5, and all of that. And, and, and again, Brother Eve's mentioned it and pulled on it. And I was saying, hey, stop. I'm going to preach that. Don't, don't go no further. Nicodemus comes. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Notice that the Lord didn't say, well, here you go. Let me just hand it to you. He said, well, Nicodemus, it requires a decision. Except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's a decision. You and I have to come to a place where we make up our minds. What are we going to do? And here's the thing. I, I begin to, and, and I know, and I preach it, and probably I would say at least once a week, I mention and preach Acts 2.38 and I do not apologize for it one bit. Every It seems that every time we come to church, there's usually someone that is in desperate need to hear one more time the gospel of Jesus Christ, to hear about Acts 2.38, to hear what it means to be saved, for them to make their own decision. And if today there's one of those and you might be here, and then you look around and you see a, a whole group of people. Maybe let me talk to all you saved, sanctified folks. You're saying, well, man, pastor's preaching this again. Can I help you out what your response ought to be? Preach it. You know why? Because someone needs to understand that the decision, the crux of the decision that that sinner might find himself in, they need to know there's somebody else that walked down to an old altar and knelt down and cried those tears of repentance. And they walked into those waters of baptism and they need to hear the amen and the hallelujah of those that have already made the decision so that they might do the same. I've made the statement over and over. That, that 
here in, in the modern world and in O'Fallon and in this day and age, I have yet to hardly find a sinner that everybody seems to be saved. I, I've, I've used the, uh, uh, you know, talk to them. They can walk out of a bar with a beer in one hand and a joint in the other hand, cussing and cursing, and they're ready to go to heaven. But it was just a few days ago as I was reading and studying that God prompted me that the book of Acts chapter 2 which contains the first revival message ever preached this church that was birthed on the day of Pentecost when 120 gathered into the upper room and, and there they worshipped and they prayed and they interceded until the Holy Ghost fell and when they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance there were dwelling in Jerusalem there were there devout men from every nation in heaven because it was the feast of Pentecost and so they came. They were serving. It was a religious feast. And God reminded me that the book of Acts chapter 2 was not preached to quote-unquote lost people, but it was preached to saved, if you will, people. That 3,000 that was added to the church that the end of the book of Acts chapter 2 refers to was not a bunch of Gentile, sinner, pagan, idolatrous, worshiping people, but it was preached to those who had come to Jerusalem to worship, and they said, we're preaching and we're, watch this, they were reading the same scriptures that Peter was quoting from. Which is why when some say, well, man, I've read the Bible. I know the Bible. Absolutely. And there were 3,000 that thought they knew what exactly what the Word of God said, but they hadn't seen it in its fruition, and they hadn't got to a place where a decision was made. But Peter walks out on that portico on the day of Pentecost, and he begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he brings their attention to a tree. And as he brings that tree to their mind, I don't know that he, he, he's doing exactly what I was doing, but he brought them to a place where they had to make a decision. Somewhere, perhaps, in the back of the crowd, somebody hollers out, Men and brethren, what should I do? There was a decision made. I'm convinced that not everybody that day made that decision. The Bible tells us up to 3,000 were added to the church. They received the Holy Ghost. They were baptized. But I'm convinced that was not the whole crowd because anywhere there are people, there will be those that make a decision for or by their not making a decision, they have effectively made a decision against. What do we do? Peter said unto them, Acts 2.38, let me say it, let me quote it again. Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission, the removal of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you and to your children and all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. But the understanding is you have to make a decision. Bible says the cross is foolish to those who, who don't see it for what it's worth. It was a stumbling block to the Jews. They couldn't get over it. It was if, if, the, if Genesis chapter 2 and 3 tells us that the fruit of that tree was looked good and it looked perfect and it looked uh, good to eat, the tree uh, of Calvary has a fruit that doesn't seem to be as tasty. I was reading in my daily devotion. I've, I've, I've told you many times how I read the Bible. 
And, and I was reading just recently where they were, Jesus said, unless you, you, you partake of my flesh and unless you drink of my blood, and I put myself right in there, and you had to know they thought he had absolutely lost his mind. It was, I mean, the, 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 the God's law, Moses' law said you don't eat the flesh with the blood. So now they're trying to resurrect all of that. How, how does it fit? And it didn't make sense to them, but Jesus was telling them it's going to come to the place where you're going to have to make a decision. It's that centurion after they pierced the side of Jesus and blood and water flowed. After Jesus had heaved one last breath and said, it is finished. It was that centurion that looked up and something began to click in his mind. And he said, surely this is the son of God. Because he began to put some pieces together. This tree requires a decision. But I'd like to tell you today that in the world that we live in, this decision is not seemingly so easy to make. Because this decision simply requires obedience. You have to repent. You have to be baptized. You have to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And there's so many that will balk at that and question that and do I really need to do that are you sure that's what it means but I hear the words of Samuel recording the voice of God speaking saying obedience is better than sacrifice and if you truly love the Lord your God you will obey his word it's the mark of, of true love it's the mark of true relationship you can say, I love you all you want. You can give all the accolades. You can give all the worship you want. And I'm sure Adam and Eve did that. The Bible indicates that they walked with God in the cool of the evening. The Bible indicates that they had that relationship. And I'm sure when everything was perfect, it was very easy to lift up their hands and say, I love you, God. It would have sounded wonderful. It would have sounded awesome. But their worship had a hollow ring because they had not yet come to a decision. When they found themselves around that tree, their worship paled because the decision they made spoke louder than every sacrifice of praise. And I'm here today to tell you that you can say you love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and your strength. But the true test of your love only comes when you obey and you make that decision. A poem records, it's unknown, I could not find out who wrote it. At the crossroad, I encountered a man on the road of life. So sure of himself, so convinced, he was right. He had his religion, but he didn't know God. And though he had eyes, I thought it rather odd that he could only see what he wanted to see. So blind to the truth that would set his soul free. The man charged ahead, unaware he was lost, until he encountered a man on the cross. At a fork on the road where the path became two, the man who had always been sure of himself had to choose between the broad and the narrow, the left and the right, between the things he could see and those things out of sight. I'm sure the man would have gone the wrong way had he not encountered the Savior that day. But love rescued him and truth set him free. Grace opened his eyes he could finally see. 
that the man on the cross made the difference. And we listen as this one proud skeptic proclaims, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Would you stand today?